0: Hey guys, what's up? It is week 322. I have a couple of reviews for you, but uh, I want to start this off just kind of let everybody know what the situation is with the channel and everything, and what's going on. So uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm getting an ultrasound today for uh, probably another hernia. Possibly, I, I just uh, my work is a very physical labor job, so. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do in the future. You know, I'll definitely have to have some weeks off. I don't know if I'm going to stay at the same place of employment. It's been a long time. Hell, I don't even know if I'm going to stay where I live. So there's lots of crazy things happening in my life right now. I have been working on kind of a all all end kind of 1980 video. Um, which it, uh, maybe I'll show you guys a snippet of it. it it's kind of like just going to cover the entire year and then go through my top 25 films of the year. Uh, vid- video essay style thing. I'm not going to be on camera. It's all kind of like slightly scripted kind of deal. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. I've showed the patrons some of it. Um, so so I, I really, there's a lot of question marks. I'll try to get the weekly videos on schedule like I always do, but there'll probably be some changes in the coming weeks. Um, I, I'm not really sure exactly how everything will go. Um, wish me luck. Uh, it's going to be hard for me not to... I've had a hernia surgery about 10 years ago. it would be hard for me not to be able to physically do things because I'm a very active person, um, and I don't ever like asking people for help. Uh, so let's hop into the reviews, and the first one up is from Ignite Films. This is their first release, and this has a 4K overseas, I believe, but this is uh, yeah their debut uh, release here, and this is Invaders from Mars from 1953. Kind of a sci-fi classic. It was remade in 1986 by, of course, legendary horde director Toby Hooper by Cam canon films, uh, crazy film. So the original, you know, I'd heard a lot about it. I knew that it was one of these kind of uh catalyst to kind of like a subgenre in the, uh, you get a, kind of the sci-fi horror films, right? Aliens invade earth, Mar- Martians invade earth. Cause it was a big thing, Martians back in the day. It was just aliens. It was always Martians. Um, so essentially what happens here is there's this really intelligent young kid named David who's obsessed with, you know, sciences and astronomy, all this kind of stuff. Um, so one day he's kind of looking at the stars and his father and mother come in and they have a great relationship. The great rapport, they set up the parents before and everything like that. Um, and he sees before he goes to bed, um, kind of a spaceship crash land. He's he's very taken by it. He's scared. Uh, he tells his father, and his father is working with uh, directly with kind of like uh, I don't I don't want to say NASA, but something kind of like government facility. So he's intrigued by this as well. He goes out, and when he comes back, he disappears for a while. But when they do eventually find him, he's not right. He's off. So this is uh, three years before Invaders of the Body Snatchers, the great um, Don Siegel film, which is about kind of body snatching and mind-taking. I mean, there's early sci-fi 50s movies like Creature with the Atom Brain where people are kind of taken over and brainwashed, but not like in this sense where there's some sort of alien kind of uh, thing coming from out of space and and literally kind of putting... Uh, Like not not exactly pod people, but taking their brains over and doing that kind of thing. This is very early for that. So uh, we do have a couple familiar faces. You know, I I've seen a couple of these people before. The the colonel in here was in the Giant Claw and some other sci-fi movies, playing a very similar character. But what happens is uh, pretty soon that these uh, Martians start to kind of pick people and they start to be turned and they have some big agenda. But uh, I I do like this because they actually believe the kid because the kid's got a good reputation. But there's some great moments that are kind of scary in the very beginning, especially when the father has his turn and he slaps the kid. I was just like, oh boy, that would be horrifying, right? Your father's this loving person and boom, he kind of goes completely nuts. It does remind me a bit of stuff that would come later like Aliens Are Coming from 1980, the TV movie and of course Invasion of the Body Snatchers, all these kind of things, right? Um, Pod people Anytime uh, people are kind of being taken over. Puppet Masters is probably more like it. The uh, 94 or is it 91? I think it's 94 when Donald Sutherland where they latch onto the brain, which was, you know, the story which uh, came out around the same time as the Invasion of the Body Snatchers story and everything like that. But what happens is uh, we have a lot of big hurrah, military hurrah, a lot of stock footage of military uh, tanks and all these kind of things. And eventually we have a standoff against the uh, Martians. What's really cool is the way they use the sand, kind of how they take you under the sand, which reminds me of stuff like Tremors or Blood Beach, where that kind of shift in sand and you're sucked under. There's nothing quite scarier than having your, your actual land taken out from underneath you. So uh, that, that's really great stuff. And when we actually get to the set designs, that stuff's pretty cool too. I know the director works really extensively on bigger films, doing set designs, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he did a great job. I mean, the Martians are very crazy in this film. They're very large, um, and they're kind of controlled by this strange, like, head-in-a-jar deal. It's just played by a short woman, um, uh, you know, uh, a small person, and, and that's pretty crazy because she's, like, spray-painted, like, silver, and they give the whole ordeal. Now, the remake kind of uh, does crazy on the special effects, and they have Louise Fletcher in there and James Karen, and some other familiar faces. I think one of the Bottoms kids, the brothers, is in that movie uh, as the father but no this this one's really good um, really entertaining very short paced so short that they had to pad it and you can tell with the nightmare kind of sequence at the end and all that stuff and it does uh, you know even something like Nightmare City takes a little bit from it if you guys have seen Nightmare City so like I'm telling you this movie from 1953 and there's like um, just covering the year 1980 recently there's so many of these films that were clearly influenced by Invaders from Mars which um, and that's just one year in general if you, if you take it out so that means how many of these 50s movies were inspired by it and how many movies later on and throughout every year in the 80s and every year period so it's a very influential film this was the first time watch believe it or not now I had seen the remake and I enjoy the remake except I think it's a little long in the tooth this one runs a little long too it feels like at times it feels like there's a little padding and the remake is super long for what it is um, but uh, this one is very entertaining because the 50 sci-fi movies really rarely wear out their welcome um, Invaders uh, and Invasion of the Bodies and Actors is I think the quintessential like fast-paced uh, sci-fi film scary and I put the more as a horror film than this this is more sci-fi than horror well invasion i would put horror than sci-fi because it's so terrifying but uh yeah this is a really entertaining film the 4k looks pretty good i mean the stock footage you use for the tanks is never going to look that good right um they can't really clean that stuff up very well but the 4k looks really good sounds good um there's a slew of features on here as well which i enjoyed Uh, of course we have the brand new 4k restoration We have interviews with jimmy hunt William Cameron Menzies biographer James Curtis, and recollections of Menzies' eldest granddaughter Pamela uh, Lawson, And that's great stuff because it talks about his career, how he worked, went to the kind of a premiere, the last premiere he went to, all that kind of stuff. And then we have feature-out with acclaimed film directors John Landis, Joe Dante, editor Mark Goldblatt, special visual effects artist and two-time Oscar winning Robert uh, Skoltech, foremost expert on Invaders from Mars, and effects um, and enthusiast and film preservationist Scott McQueen. And that's good stuff, too. I mean, always welcome those people. Goldblatt, Landis, and Joe Dante are fountains of knowledge. And the other guy, he's an expert on it. So they're talking about the movie, how it affected them, how it affected culture, all that kind of stuff, which you'd like to hear. Then we have John Sales' introduction at Turner Classic Movies Festival in Hollywood, April 2022. John sales, of course, writer of Alligator, directed a slew of other great films. Before and after clips of restoration, original, negative, and archival film elements with film restoration supervisor Scott McQueen. Restored in segments in 2K of the alternate international version, alternate ending and extended uh, planetarium scene. So, and then we also have a gallery and we have a booklet. So, it's a very nice release. I like what this company's doing. Hopefully, uh, they keep at it and we see some more really good 4Ks and everything. So, uh, and always welcome 50 sci-fi movies because uh as outlandish as they are in 1950 they sure do predict the future and sometimes the future is very scary and very bleak next up it's going to be a patch here it's the weekly western
1: let's go why not Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when?
0: So I'm sure you guys haven't seen that uh, intro in a long time, but uh, this is for a box set here. Blood Money from Arrow Films. Uh, I love when Arrow does these box sets, except they are time-consuming, so I tackled the whole thing all together. It has four films in here, of course. We have $1,000 Blood Money, Vengeance is Mine, Find a Place to Die, Matalo, or Kill Him. So let's start with the first one here, and this stars legendary kind of Italian actor, leading man, uh, Johnny Garco, um, from the Sartana films. He's in a slew of others. He's in Lucio Fulci's Psychic, which has a 4K coming out from Severin, and uh, this also stars Gian Vellante's little brother, and um, Fernando Sanchez, who is a staple in Spaghetti Westerns. He pops up in the Crazy Bonkers in the Folds of the Flesh from 1970. Very good actor. So this one is pretty fun. This is kind of a bounty killer in Johnny Garco, and uh, he's a tough-as-nails kind of guy. Uh, obviously, uh, styled in The Man with No Name, with his kind of wandering through town. In the very beginning, he uh, kills a slew of kind of bad guys, and he's, he's going through. He picks out this one guy, and he's driving back and bringing his bounty back, and he spots this, this bandit, and they make eye contact. And they seem to know know what's up who they are he gets back to this town and he notices that uh that that guy's on the wall and they say that he's very tough right now he's six thousand dollars um and he says something along the lines like he ain't worth it just yet uh this bandit is horrible so he's actually gone ahead and kidnapped this uh kind of this rich kind of heavy roller probably a cattle rancher type deal uh his daughter and this guy offers extra money to for uh, this Django. He's not the, not the other Django, right? To go and take on this guy and bring him back dead. He'll get extra bounty. So, boom. That's kind of the plot of this movie. What makes it cool is, of course, um, uh, Volante's little brother has a gang of his own. He's ruthless. He's mean-spirited. But I really like that uh, there's a point where Johnny Garco comes to look for him and he shows up to his old home village and he finds his gang and everything and they're hanging out with Fernando Sanchez, who is uh, the villain's father and he has all these sheriff badges lined on his chest out of all the sheriffs and stuff he killed. And they start to talk and he says, you know, but you shot him all in the back. He won't show his face. And his his introductory of the character of Fernando Sanchez really kind of added something to the movie. Kind of added this kind of, uh, you know, it lets you know who the villain was without outly saying it through his father and Johnny Garco, basically how he won't kill somebody unless there's a bounty on it. All this kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it comes out to a climax and it, it takes some turns too, you know, like you think that the kidnap girls. It's going to be so happy that all this stuff is happening, but it's not necessarily that. And of course there's twists and turns and all this kind of stuff here. And, uh um, it's pretty brutal in some aspects, too. I really enjoyed this one. Um, again, you cannot really trust the main villain, and people bite it that you really don't expect to, which is unfortunate. But uh, this and the other one kind of have a lot of similarities, so they do bleed together um, in some aspects. And it'd be hard-pressed to like tell every detail which one is it. They're light sequels to each other, but $1,000 for blood money. Um, make sure I got that right. I really. Um, I, these movies also have... 10,000 alternate titles, $10,000 blood money. is really entertaining stuff. Uh, It's good. Um, A a solid Spaghetti Western. Not on my top 10, but probably in the top 20 or something along those lines. Um, I think people would enjoy this one. And Garko is great. Okay, next up is kind of a loose sequel to um, $10,000 Blood Money. Same director, made the same year. This is Vengeance is Mine, again, starring Johnny Garko as kind of the Django-type character. It also brings back the bandit from this one, but this time around he plays his brother's, uh, his brother. um, And it's funny because the bandit, he's actually not Django in this one, he's John, which is crazy because the bad guy, the brother, is named Clint. So you have Clint, Eastwood, John, Wayne, one's good, one's bad very funny to me, very kind of on the nose. Uh, Fernando Sanchez also has a small role in here. Um, and yeah, this one follows the story of two brothers, uh, one of which was double-crossed uh, by his other brother and framed for prison. He went to jail for 10 years and now he gets out and he wants to bring justice. He finds out that his mother has passed, his mother made him, uh, told him a promise to a friend, and he must bring back his brother, not kill him, unless he fires the first shot. And uh, Garco wants to make him serve the 10 years that he served. Um, but, of course, his villainous brother Clint has done double-crossed a bunch of villains and everything like that. So these guys are hot on his trail. And of course he can't let these guys get his bounty. He can't let them kill his brother before he makes him pun- he, uh, serve that punishment. So the two form an unlikely uh, relationship of course. And boom. That's that's kind of the deal. You know, it does remind me a little bit of a massacre time, right? The Lucio Falchi one with Franco Nero and George Hilton, which I think is a better film. I think that's probably one of my favorite spaghetti westerns but they kind of have that unnatural kind of connection and the brothers and everything like that but this one that one ends on a little happier note because um, Volante's little brother is just ruthless he's just made to be a villain to be honest. Um, so as it progresses there's a couple double crossings and things like that as well. And uh, you know what? In in reality, I think I prefer the first one. Um, But they both have their moments, to be honest. So this one has, like, flashbacks to the point where it reminds me of Once Upon a Time in the West or for uh, Fistful of Dynamite, you know, the one flashback with Colburn and David uh, Warbeck where they're running and stuff. Like, there's definitely, like, this kind of maybe at one point a love triangle and a lot of regret and a lot of, you know— I guess you'd say like cheating and all this kind of stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you really want the bad guy to bite it here. He's not exactly the most likable guy in the world. Um, the gang is uh, is decent you know there's a couple of villains here that I that I enjoyed um, they kind of show up at the end and they have a little bit more focus on them but there's points in this film where like a lot of the villains you think are gonna be alive a little longer and then they bite it. and you're like where are we gonna carry this on for the next 30 40 minutes or so I should mention that there is special features on both of these um, which I didn't mention on the first one so let me go through the special features for ten thousand dollars blood money um, we have of course brand new introduction by journalist and film critic Fabio Milni uh, Maloli. Mille- he does an introduction for the first two films at least. Brand new audio commentary by film historian Lee Broughton. Tears of Django, newly edited feature with archival interviews with the director Romalo Guerreri and actor Johnny Yarko. The producer didn't like western movies. Brand new interview with producer Mino Loy. How the West was one. Brand new interview with screenwriter Ernesto Gastaldi. That's for $10,000 blood money. The features on Vengeance is Mine. We again have a brand new introduction by Fabio Molini. Brand new audio commentary by film historian Lee Broughton. Kane and Abel, newly edited feature with archival interviews with Johnny Arco and screenwriter Nestor Gastaldi. In Conversation with Norla Arlandi, newly edited archival interview with the film's iconic composer, movie after movie, brand new interview with producer Mina Loy. Also, Sergio Martino had a hand in these movies, and I should mention that because Martino is very popular when it comes to some crime films, but more importantly, for probably people of this channel, fans of this channel, um uh jolly he's directed some of the best jolly and his brother luciano martino and him had a handful of a lot of films Uh, their hand in a lot of films and a lot of good films too so yeah okay the next one in the set here is find a place to die um, and this is like a, a, kind of like a, uh, kind of ragtag group of people on this half-assed rescue mission. So what we have here is this woman and man, they kind of had like found this gold in the mine that's supposed to be abandoned. There's not supposed to be gold in there anymore. And, uh, they're defending against this high, like powered, like Mexican gag in the area. And the husband who's in a slew of these movies, he's actually in the previous Vengeance's Mine, he gets injured and he's pinned under this wagon. So she runs away and tries to get help. She runs into this guy and he's just, um, what, what's the actor's name? He's, he's kind of a, uh, a leading man I think I've seen before, but he's not really my favorite leading man from the box set. So he uh, is this kind of sourpuss, and he finds out about the gold, but he's like, all right, I'll help you, yada, yada, yada. And he gets together a group of bandits, one named Gomez, who knows the Mexican gang, another super strong guy who is in uh, the Lo- Leone movies. This guy's got a, he's in a bunch of the the Euro crime films as well. I can't think of his name. He's in a million of these movies, very familiar guy. And then we have kind of a sharpshooter, and then we have this creature, this kind of evil preacher that they find a way, on the way, and the woman goes also. So you have like this ragtag group of people, which I love that stuff, man on a mission kind of movie, right? Um, what's the one with uh, William Holden, the Western, The Revengers, kind of like in that vein? They're all kind of criminals, but that one I actually is more of a Dirty Dozen story, which I enjoy. So this group of people go on the way, and uh, of course they don't want to run against the Mexican crime, bo- the, the the bandito. So, but they're gonna have to run into him, right? So they get there and they find out the husband's been killed, um, and uh, she's basically fighting, getting raped by some of these guys the whole time. Uh, And that's that kind of deal, right? And eventually they figure out that they're going to have to have some last stand against this bandito and there's this big giant shootout and everything like that. And a lot of people do not make it. Um, There's some double crossing and traitors here and everything like that. Um, It's a fun movie. It's good action. Good solid set pieces. All that kind of stuff. Um, Very standard, I would say. This is probably the most standard in the set uh, to me. Uh, But it does have some of the bigger action set pieces or biggest cast or whatever. Um, I enjoy it. Um, it It's a solid spaghetti western with good music and and everything like that. As far as the special features are concerned, we have brand new introduction by, of course, the film critic Fabio Maleni, brand new audio commentary by author and critic Howard Hughes, Sons of Leone, newly edited archival interview with director Giannano Carnimino, a traditional figure brand new in-depth appreciation of soundtrack and composer Giannani Fernando by musician and disc collector Lovely John so that's very cool as well Uh, yeah, this is fun stuff, Uh, all three are good, Um, none of them knock my socks off, kind of like the one where had their set they put out with Massacre Time uh, Vengeance Trails, but that just speaks more to me but I liked every single one of these so far and the final in the set is Matteo uh, matalo uh, kill him, and this is the most bizarre uh, of the bunch. This is super bizarre uh spaghetti western film here. uh this does have Lucas Castle in it or Cassell. I never know how to say his name, I think it's Castle who pops up and fist in the pocket and he's in the paranoia with uh geez. Uh, Carol Baker, the Umberto Lenzi film which that movie has probably like five titles, very confusing but he's in that one as well and he's like first credited along with another actor and I was like, he doesn't pop up for like 30 minutes I was like, what is going on here? So this one is one of the most bizarre of the bunch and uh, there's a commentary by Troy Haworth and Nathaniel Thompson and I was listening to that and they bring it up, you know, like this is kind of uh, toward the later days, right, of the Spaghetti Western or um, it was very popular in Italy at the time because uh, like the movie the same year, My Name is Trinity and all those kind of movies, They Call Me Nobody were very popular at the box office and those are like these spaghetti westerns that are kind of parodying themselves and they mention stuff like Kioma or these self-aware bizarre ass spaghetti westerns and this one is in that line where it's it's not exactly parodying itself it's dark and weird um, but it, it, it's aware and it's just doing these kind of strange different things that a lot of these spaghetti westerns weren't, it's not a traditional one like the other three in the set, I would say this is a non-traditional spaghetti western or I mean there is that subgenre that are like that like I said like kioma and those other ones but this is just a bizarre one, it's weird um um, the editing is strange, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, when you're saying editing is strange in a spaghetti westerns kind of defeats the purpose, right? Sergio Leone had all these kind of crazy different soundtrack stingers and editing and freeze frames, all that shit. But this one just feels off. It's just bizarre. And it's maybe a little bit more artsy at the end, how it's filmed and the message and all that kind of stuff. So we have this bandit who's completely untrustworthy. And it starts with his narration at the beginning, which you're like, okay, so we're going to follow this. And it kind of leaves that narration at points. And he just says, you basically get to know who he is to this. He says, if it ain't pinned down, daddy says, take it all this kind of stuff. Great, great, great. And he just pulled this job with a couple other people, um uh and they're just ruthless, of course, they're no good. Um, a couple kind of villainous, really mean spirited guys and a woman and they're kinda of doing this thing and they end up holding up at this small town. Uh it used to be ran by this woman named Miss Benson, her husband. It's run down. She's running this kind of small thing. And they like kinda beat her in and every like beat her up and take over. And Lucasell is is going through the city as well. And he's uh dying of thirst and they beat the shit out of him and torture him. And there's one guy in here, I don't remember his name, he's very creepy and very off and uh uh, he's in love with the woman, but she does not kind of have the uh, same kind of feelings about him, but she's a very hor- hor- horrible, manipulator at the same time. She's playing all the cards. And uh, at one point, one of the characters bites it and you really don't know. And there's somebody in the shadows watching, which kind of add this element of, and God said to Cain, which they mentioned in the commentary, which came out in 1970, well, which had a uh, Klaus Kinski in there. And I think it's an Ansoni Margariti movie. I watched it for 1970. It's a cool film it has horror elements. And this has kind of that like weird kind of isolated, creepy elements to it, like high Plains Drifter. Um, but it does have those these weird kind of things here and they do mention that in the commentaries they mention kind of the horror oriented spaghetti western and this one isn't exactly horror but it moves into that thriller kind of mystery kind of money scam kind of deal you know it's just kind of almost a crime film that takes place in a different period piece period piece crime film really at this one so uh, as it progresses we learn that all these hands all these people want the money and it gets to the point where it gets like almost like like absurdist when there's a boomerang involved overall it's a bizarre one Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite of the set, but it's most certainly the most standout and memorable of the set. As far as the special features are concerned, we have a brand new introduction by ju- uh, journalist and critic Ma- Fabio Malini, brand new audio commentary by critics Troy Haworth and Nathaniel Thompson, which is very good. A Melanese story, brand new in-depth interview with filmmaker uh, Davide, uh Pulsini, discussing the career of Matalo, Mata- director Cesar uh, Canaveri, Untold Icon, brand new in-depth appreciation of the soundtrack and composer Giannano Farini by music and disc collector Love John so yeah it's a nice set overall it's got a nice box set in there Um, anytime they bundle like four kind of uh, good or good to great spaghetti Westerns or crime films in a set I I really have trouble saying no to that kind of stuff but uh, I I love arrow arrow puts out a lot of cool stuff and I'd love to see more of these kind of things get put out but uh, like I said nice booklet as well and they've been killing it lately so there Oh. I almost dropped everything. But there's the guy who's talking about, the guy who's always in the crime films and everything. But, uh, yeah, on to the next. All right, guys, let's get into those 1981 movies.
1: Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. In this little town when the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Oh the legend they say on a valentine's day Is a curse that'll live on and on As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago
0: Okay, first up is a doozy. I've covered this movie before, so I don't know how much is going to be repeating here. But this is The Pit from 1991 it's a exploitation film made in wisconsin by a guy named um uh the director here what was his name uh geez he's a director that i'm not super familiar with is why i say he's uh lou uh lou layman and i think this is the only movie he actually directed so uh the pit like i said this is one of these ones that originally was released on anchor Bay dvd that's probably the first time i saw it um it's based off a, no- a novel actually called teddy which is fun mentioning because uh, it's just really kind of goes different from the novel. So, what we have here is this strange little boy named Jamie, I think Jamie Snyder, and uh, it, it opens up kind of like showing a kind of a grabber, right? It shows you this scene where these kids are pushed into this pit on Halloween, they're all dressed up. And we kind of cut back to some of the past a little bit, and we see just kid Jamie who is just, uh, he's an outcast really. He's only, he's young, he's 10 years old, he talks to his teddy bear, it's his only friend, and he's gone through a bunch of babysitters. His parents aren't always there, so they have the babysitter come in, and there's this young girl, she's probably like in her early 20s, she's babysitting Jamie, and she really wants to help him. She seems to have a connection with him, and Jamie immediately is smitten with her. And uh, it's really bizarre film, because like, you'll see all these characters that interact with Jamie, and this would be a great kind of double feature with Evil speak because uh, uh, poor uh, Clint Howard in that film was constantly being bullied by all these kind of bizarre characters and weird characters and everything like that like the coach and all this stuff so uh, Jamie is being picked on by the neighborhood girl the old woman in the wheelchair um, and the librarian doesn't like him but there's good reason Jamie is just a creep he's a weird character he has a terrarium where he feeds the frogs and all these kind of things and that's what he likes you know he likes feeding the animals he likes talking to Teddy but he also likes kind of taking pictures of the librarian naked and Taking naked photography and cutting her head off, uh, the head off, and putting the librarian's head on it and sending it to her. He's just an all around creepy kid with no, uh, very intelligent, but also very outcast like and just no friends. Um, So one day, uh, Jamie stumbles on this pit in the middle of the woods and he finds out that there's these creatures down there that can't get out and they're starving. And he realizes by doing research that they're uh, troglodytes or or, or some sort of, uh, you know, trawl logs. uh, The ancient link, the missing link and they're hairy, creepy creatures. And uh, it's super bizarre because you think this might all be in his head, which is the book was supposed to be suggesting, right, that this was all psychological problems in Jamie's head. But the film being just a film and being exploitative and weird and bizarre, um, it, it just goes for it completely, where it kind of throws it out the window. And the first time they throw it out the window here is when Jamie has uh, left the room, the babysitter cleans up the room and leaves the room, and the teddy looks at the camera. So you're like, is it? why are they doing this? if there's no other person on screen, that would be psychologically damaged to believe that the teddy bear is real. It's not for Jamie, it's for the audience suggesting that um, it is real in this world and as it progresses you would suggest that supernatural elements or strange elements can happen into this world. Um, not only is there a talking teddy bear with glowing red eyes but there is a pit with the missing links in there and they're hungry. So of course he tries to feed them candy bars but after a while he realizes they need meat and when he can no longer pay for the meat he starts to bring people to the pit that were mean to Jamie. So that's kind of the the, the storyline here. Um, Jamie's performance is bizarre and weird. Um, when the creatures get a hold of people at the end of the film, it's pretty gory, pretty wild. Um, and there's this weird kind of comic element with the sheriff who's like, I don't know, they just simply disappeared. It, it feels very Canadian, but at the same time, being made, made in Wisconsin, it feels Merry Wisconsin like too. Um, I love this movie. It's got a weird small town feel. Um, this, the score is really good. They use like an orchestra, it's better than the movie. And uh, there's an interview with the guy who did the orchestra. And I think he would agree that it's probably more than the movie deserved on the budget but i just have a fondness of this film it's super bizarre it's super weird it's just uncomfortable right um and the long line of weird kind of killer kids movies or or evil kid movies this is a great one Um, it reminds me of the child right though from 1977 but the next movie i'm going to talk about is even more like the child uh, from 81 so this one right here it's worth your time if you like bizarre weird films this is one that you could watch and try to examine and fall in love with or you could just like be like who the the hell thought this was a good idea or you could just kind of look at it as something that maybe is so weird it's funny um, which I don't really tend to do I think it's actually got genuinely like creepy moments and it's genuinely got a nice little small town feel and it's just a cool story it's so rare that you have an evil kid a evil teddy bear and evil troll things in there and it's just some somehow get the, the right tone to not make this seem like it's just a smorgasbord of crap which happens sometimes when you read the backlog line of a movie and it's like with mummies and creatures and zombies yeah. And- and the uh, the satanic element of a shower. You're like, oh, this is going to be awesome and then it just feels like none of it meshes together or something like that. I'm looking at you, Devil Story. But uh, this one, for some reason, it all meshes and the way the tone is and how weird it is, it just all feels right. That is the pit. It does have some special features on here. Um, audio commentary by uh, Paul Coop of Connexploitation.com and Film and Story and Jason... Uh Pichowski, Pichowski, um interview with star Jenny Ellis, interview with composer Victor Davis, interview with star Sammy Snyders, interview with um, um, basically screenwriter Ian e. A Stewart, and trailer gallery. So, anyways, The Pit, great movie. I, I recommend you guys check it out. Okay, next up is another one from 81, and this is Kiss Daddy Goodbye, and this is an SRS DVD. This is a very old DVD. Very crummy DVD, to be honest, uh, if you guys haven't noticed. But, uh, yeah, I, I've never really heard too many people talk about Kiss Daddy Goodbye, and I reviewed it like 10 years ago. Maybe more. Maybe more, actually. This DVD's probably 15 years old. I've reviewed it. one of the first movies i reviewed for my channel, and I hadn't watched it since. So, it's a 4x3. It's it looks like crap, the DVD. It's an old DVD. Um, there's a commentary, which is uh, it's okay. But uh, So, basically, what we have here is two kids i think they're actually played by twin brother and sister and they might be one of the producer or director's kids and um they're just a bizarre group and they have tel- a bizarre pair they have telekinetic powers um and their dad keeps them kind of to themselves they have telepathy and telekinesis um isolated small town we kind of are following this new sheriff and kind of a social worker in marilyn burns uh texas jensen massacre and a fame um as she comes in and tries to examine the kids and talk to them and the father um is, is a bizarre character he wants to homeschool him obviously because he doesn't want this power getting out um, that they inherited from their mother so after a while it's kind of set up that there's a lot of bikers who travel around here one of which is one of the the main baddies from Savage Streets with Linda Blair and these bikers kind of travel around cause problems they cause property damage Um, the the kind of the guy around the housing guy around who's uh, the landlord not landlord but the um, whatever the guy who sells houses I can't think of his name um, realtor is uh, played by the guy from Day of the Animals who kind of wanders into the town by himself at the very end I can't think of the actor's name but he's in this and he's a drunk and he's an asshole and he mentions to the sheriff that, "Ah, man, they tear this stuff apart. Can you handle that? Um, Of course, uh, some tragedy ensues when these bikers run into uh, Nicholas, the twin's father, and takes him out. And this leaves these twins to their own devices. And that their devices are going to be telekinetic and telekinesis Wildness. So they raise their father from the dead, and they use him as their pawn to kill anyone that upsets them. He chases down a group of a pair of surfers. He fights back at the bikers. All this kind of stuff here. It's slow paced. It's decent enough. It has a regional charm about it. Um, Overall, I enjoy the film. Um, Marilyn Burns is an actress that, like every time I see her in a movie, the quality is always purposely made to look. Rugged or different, she always looks different. I can never spot her out. And then this picture quality here is pretty rough on "Kill Kiss Daddy Goodbye." But uh, overall, I enjoy the film. Uh, it's obviously taking from the Child from '77, but more importantly, it's taking from Carrie. It's taking from all those kind of films like that, right? The Bad Seed, Carrie, The Child, and and then Carrie kind of was like the kind of the first one, right, with the telekinetic powers. Um, but yeah, this one also has the mind reading, and they talk to each other in each other's heads. The kids aren't great actors. I'm not gonna lie, they're not. They obviously didn't pursue acting very much further than what they did. But uh, it, it's an all right movie, you know. Uh, and all the acting in, gr- in general is not great. The kills are not anything to be amazed about. But if you want kind of like a, a quiet, slow burn kind of horror film about telekinetic, telekin, uh, telepathic kids that kill, then check this one out. You could probably do worse. And it's a little different. Like I said, I like doing the double, uh, the killer, the evil kid kind of double feature. here for 81 uh, like i said 81 also has bloody birthday which is another evil kid movie and there's probably a couple other ones i'm forgetting a lot of birthdays in 1981 if you guys haven't noticed bloody birthday happy birthday to me madhouse allison's birthday a lot of fucking birthdays um but anyways that is kiss daddy goodbye i think this disc is probably out of print maybe vs will pick it up or severin uh, because this one is probably a movie that i think people would like to see in a nice nice uh deluxe edition or at least cleaned up to hd The next one here is the Patreon pick from, uh, is this Jim Simon who did this one? Uh, I I always mix his name up because he has a lot of good picks. And this is Faults from 2014. Um, What's the actor in here? I've seen him in stuff. Uh, Leland uh, Orser, and he's in a slew of movies. Uh, This is actually by the director uh, who did that art of self-defense, which I thought was really good and really bizarre. And this actor, Leland here, he's in Seven, but he's in a slew of movies. He's in The Guest. Always does a great job. And this movie's wild. This is not a movie with a huge cast or anything like that. You'd also would recognize the girl's parents in here, the the ones from Devil's Rejects. They're, a, they're character actors in a slew of stuff. So um, Leland is is down on his luck, kind of uh, expert on cults and all that kind of stuff. That's his mo. He he knows all about cults. He knows all about these deals, how to deal with them, how to work with them. But uh, one time, uh, in the very beginning, we see this seminar. We realize he's completely poor and broke in this seminar with AJ Bowen. Um, he kind of uh, beats the shit out of him and says, "You're the reason my sister is dead." And we kind of find out that uh, this is where Leland dropped the ball on his life and everything like that uh he has a couple famous character actors after him one in john Grease, uh from you know fright night 2 and monster squad and napoleon dynamite and uh one uh who's i can't think the actor recently just passed um he's a good actor um african-american guy maybe he's not even american i'm not really sure but he's in a slew of boobies to be honest a ton of movies um and he's in this as well and they're after him for owing money uh and an older couple approach him and say listen um our daughter's been in a cult um it's called fault's we want her out of the cult. We're willing to pay you to get her, get her out. So they agree to it, and uh, he kind of has these kind of goons kidnap her and bring her to this hotel. And at first she is a difficult. Uh, she doesn't want to do it. She sits there all day. And as it progresses, they start to talk, and he starts to get these nosebleeds. And you're like, what is going on here? Is it stress? Is he dying? And uh, you start to wonder who's manipulating who in this situation here, and is everybody who they say they are? The father seems to have some sort of weird sexual uh, thing towards the daughter. And it starts getting really uncomfortable, and you can feel the stress on Leland stress on Leland and he 's just perfect for this role, this kind of desperate um, swarmy kind of guy that I wouldn 't even say swarmy desperate, you know very desperate for sure, but also uh, broken, a very desperate and broken man. That, uh, and as it progresses it just gets really crazy and really weird and the end of the movie is perfect um, because it's a movie that you say how could somebody be put into a cult how could people be brainwashed into a cult and when you're watching this you're like this is a great way to tackle it cults are scary uh, losing your, your yourself is scary having these wide, crazy changes and uh, is terrifying, and it just works perfectly, it unfolds perfectly, although it's not a big cast, it's not many locations, somehow the movie doesn't lose your attention, everybody's very good in it, it unfolds well enough, it keeps intrigue, um, I, I thought this was a great movie, this is on um, this is Yellow Veil Pictures, um, I would really recommend picking this one out, Riley Stearns did this, and they, like I said, did the movie The Art of Self-Control, which is also a uh, really interesting film. As far as the special features are concerned, we have Introduction by Riley Stearns, New Commentary, Director, and Crew 2015 commentary director and crew uh, deprogramming false interview with Riley Stearns and uh, Lola Blanc reprogramming false interview with Riley Stearns The Cub short film, behind the scenes photo gallery, theatrical trailer, and English subtitles recommended, um, different too not exactly a horror film but definitely a movie that would be popular with horror fans so um, yeah, check it out questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff so we have Ken Coakley oh, sorry about that I watched the Costa Nostra trilogy by Franco Nero um, and Domino Dominani. I watched the movie on Aero TV since the, I can't afford the box set. The Day of the Owl, I couldn't help but think that Serge uh, Riconi, who played Nero's informant, looked like Mr. Bean. I always noticed the mafia guy throwing devil horns at Nero in a scene. It's the first time I saw that film in an italian film even though ronnie james dio who bought the that hand gesture to heavy metal he says first time he saw that in that so said he learned it from his italian grandmother it's very cool i'm a huge uh lee j cobb fan so i knew that i would enjoy his performance a little bit of trivia lee j cobb was the first choice to play mickey and rocky but he passed away before it went to the production he'd have been great at that he definitely would have been great at that sorry i need some coffee the case is close forget it is my favorite of the three films me too I grimaced when Nero went into solitary confinement and was shown the small pot and being told that it was his toilet. John Steiner's performance was loaded with manic energy and it was a good counterbalance to Nero's constant apprehension, not knowing who to trust. The courtyard scenes reminded me of the courtyard scenes in Midnight Express. Actually, as a whole the film struck me as a combination of Midnight Express and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Both great movies. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one of my favorites. and uh, the, That's for sure. Midnight Express definitely had that vibe too. I haven't finished How to Kill a Judge yet, so I don't know of an opinion yet. However, in the questions and comments section you were asked what your favorite J.L.A. Eurocrimes film were, my favorite jello is the red queen kills seven times and my favorite euro crime is brothers till we die both good ones and then uh nick Moore from belgium Creep drawn 4k equals fantastic not enough good things can be said about one of the best in the horror anthologies ever it will never be outdone i, I think you're probably right there questions why do so many modern anthologies look so cheap and feel so disjointed well they they're a bunch of shorts that from different directors and they throw them together and and package them as you know uh, one film but they're really made by four different directors they have no no tone they have no story arc they just don't go together it's like kind of Taking a bunch of random things and throwing them together and try to make a movie. Also, there's a lot of low-budget movies being made, and I just don't think that they really make anthologies nowadays. Um, so the no big studios are going to do them. It's all going to be low-budget stuff. Um, have you ever seen Creepshow three? If so, is it really as bad as I've heard? I've never seen Creepshow three. I've seen clips of it. Uh, the haunted hot dog part maybe laugh out loud, but really most people consider Tales from the Dark Side the movie Creepshow three by the same like production company and Romero and all those people. So I would count that as. And I have seen Tales from Dark Side the film, and I like it. Um, are you looking forward to the next Exorcist at all? The franchise doesn't have the best track record till next week enjoy it creep 4k um I, I mean I'll give it a shot uh I gave the Halloween ones a shot and I didn't hate some of them more than other people I like the last one which everyone hated and I didn't hate the first one the second one I thought was okay you know um I just don't have much like I I don't like think I, I don't have any fan ownership of the Exorcist or Halloween so like if I find it okay it's okay you know what I mean um then we have Terrence Cover thanks for a little shout out and an invaluable review no problem buddy Stephen Hyde give me a smiley face um thank you um, fat Pig Conqueror Buscemi was also in the adventures of Pete and Pete and Nickelodeon back in the day. Very cool. Explosive action. Thanks for getting in going into detail on the Costa Nostra set. Your review got me over the line and I just ordered it. Love me some Eurocrime. Now if you guys don't know what Explosive Action is, check out his channel. This guy is an action king. He knows all action all day. Um, he's a good guy. And then we have Bad Brains Horror. Boxer's Omen is my number one Shaw Brothers horror film. It's insane. Really enjoyed The Devil. Huge fan of our new films. Not checked out their most extreme films yet, but working up to them. Great reviews. Thank you. Yeah, they they got some extreme stuff, and they got the August Underground movies coming soon. That's extreme. Um, Ilk Vomit, 88. I go back and forth between Boxer's Omen and Seating of the Ghost. Um, uh, Ted, Density, uh, what is this name? Density. Ted Destiny five five four. I'm new to your channel. Really enjoying your bids. Thanks for the great reviews and recommendations. No problem. Uh, Jesse Diaz twelve ninety three. The Day of the Owl was on DVD under the title Mafia. It was put out as a double feature with I Am the Law by Wild East. It's ironic because I Am the Law is being put out by Radiance as well as The Iron Prefect. I had the Wild East DVD, but I don't know where it is. Smiley. I actually covered The Iron Prefect the year before, no, not last week, uh, the week before that. So then we have Way Up Dude. Uh, second Fet Face Red Heart shaped Heart Shape. YouTube's weird when you copy and paste. And then last, Katum 1472 even later, Busey is great. Always gives 100%. I wouldn't doubt that. It's just that some, sometimes his 100% is really crazy. Sometimes his 100% in, in modern times is like a million percent. Um, love Busey and his old stuff. Like him in a lot of the uh, you know mid stuff. And then, you know, I don't watch. I haven't seen a lot of Busey lately, so I don't know how he's doing. Um, very short update. Um, I don't really have anything, but I got this VHS tape that I thought was funny and a, a, a while ago and I forgot to show it. The Cat brought in uh, Chillers, the TV series. It wasn't very expensive. It had Anthony Perkins in it. I just picked it up. I don't really typically collect VHS anymore but for a dollar I was like, why the hell not? So uh, we're out of here, guys. Have a good one. Alright guys, thank you very much for watching and as always, have a good one. Yeah. <laughs>